Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast that tried to activate an economic lever at Weather Springs last night. My name is Cameron McDonald, and I've spent three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host Rupert Meadows has written and broadcast about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sport. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. And uh, while I know I enjoyed that joke, I think one thing that has, uh, has immediately presented itself as a problem in my mind is that the Venn diagram of people that will will find an economic lever pun humorous and people that go to Spoons regularly, probably not a lot of overlap. I... Um, but I think really all that we've done here is cement what we already knew to be the case, which is that we're into some niche stuff. Give give, give the economists and also the Spoons citizens <laughs> a, a little bit more credit. Um, <laughs> you think if you actually engage with that old guy that's always at the Spoons, uh, absolutely, you know, he'll, he'll talk your head off about the 90s crash Keynes in economics in and... uh, South America. <laughs> Uh, absolutely he, he, he will but that's not what we're here to talk about today we're here to talk about the first week back of the premier league sure. uh we've had a couple of episodes building up doing our predictions talking about the transfers uh, and now the first week's happened and, and what a great first week it was we had some some real upsets we had some real stompings we had uh, all sorts of interesting stuff from the new teams that have been promoted into the league um and we're going to go through a couple of these games um maybe not all of them but in some form we will go through all of them because rupert uh, i have a little bit of a surprise for you I, I alluded to the surprise, but you don't know uh, what this is yet. I yeah. have decided and I, to... I, I wasn't nervous until just now. I saw the look in your eye. There's, there's, a, there's a wicked glint. Well, I don't think I trust. I have decided to devise a, a new game of sorts uh, yeah. that can only be played on the first game of the season. Um, and okay. here's essentially how it works. I call it first impressions. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through every single match and I'm going to say first impressions and then the result, and I want you to give me a couple of words or a sentence on each team. So, for example, if I say, first impressions, Whoa. Fulham 2, Liverpool 2, your first impression might be Mitrovic is going to score 30 goals this season. Now, I appreciate that with, you know, the benefit of context and with the benefit of, you know, knowing that Fulham and Liverpool aren't going to be, you know, neck and neck the entire season, in all likelihood, that's what you okay. say. But the, okay. the, the, the idea of the exercise is to sort of just go through, give me based on only that game as if you'd never seen football before your first impressions firstly because i think it'll be interesting to to look back and see how many of these first impressions end up being somewhat prescient okay and and, and secondly just because i think it's it's funny to sort of um contextualize how out of out of the ordinary some of these results were um Okay, so you're looking for like a hot take. You want one hot take. Not even a hot take. It, it, it could be, you know, for example, if I say first impressions, Manchester City, West, you know, West Ham, no Manchester City, your first impressions might be Erling Haaland looks quite a good striker and okay. West Ham could firm up at the back a little bit. Not exactly a hot take. Nice I just, and, nice no, no ulterior yeah, motive, yeah, yeah, yeah. no okay. no onus to be interesting or different. All just right, give me your right, first right. impressions. Right. Okay. okay, here we go. First impressions, Palace nil, Arsenal 2. My first impressions of Palace nil Arsenal two are that I need you to be quick fire. It's okay, a... okay. I felt like Palace did a good job, but ultimately Arsenal won. I think Arsenal looked pretty coordinated. Gabriel Jesus like he's going to offer a lot more to the team than just goal scoring. And if if they can kind of wrangle them their young players together to form a cohesive unit, then they can do pretty well this season. Now we've got ten games to go through, so I would I would say a couple of words on each team, maybe one sentence per team. First impressions: Fulham two, Liverpool two. Uh, Fulham outstanding press. It seems like they've taken their form from the Championship into the Premier League, um, and obviously Mitrovic looks great, Palinia looks great, um, and then Liverpool. 
I think they struggled this game because Fulham cut them off very well, but always deadly in attack and maybe a sign that, that they can be stopped, which we already knew. First impressions, Bournemouth 2, Villa 0. Uh, Bournemouth, I think, are going to be really hard to play at times. I think um, it seems like they've... they Both their goals that they scored against Villa were super championship goals. And I think that if they can be really stout at the back, play their five at the back and, and get the odd goal from uh, set pieces, then they're, they're going to be hard to, to play against. Uh, Villa obviously wasn't the best start for them. They're going to need to, to, to really get that system working better for them. If possible, and I appreciate this is a format to have sprung on you, even shorter with the answers. Some, <laughs> something like Bournemouth, okay. good press, good good <laughs> okay, scorers, right, Villa, right, Gerard, right, not right, certain. Because okay. okay. we've got to save some for the episode. Okay, all right, First impression, Leeds 2, Wolves 1. Um, Leeds, Leeds looking solid, Wolves looking like they don't have a striker. First impressions, Newcastle 2, Nottingham Forest 0. Newcastle looking really good and exciting. Bruno Gamaris is, is incredible in uh, midfield. Nottingham Forest, way too defensive, didn't create enough, worrying. First impression, Spurs 4, Southampton 1. Southampton, very frightening for them. Um, I think they could be in real trouble this year. And Spurs, uh, looking really dangerous going forwards, might get a lot of goals. First impression, Everton, nil. Chelsea 1. Uh, neither team looked particularly good. Chelsea didn't really get it going, but they got one. Everton didn't really get it going, and they got none. First impressions, Leicester 2, Brentford 2. Uh, Leicester scored a couple of goals, looked dangerous, but let their opponent back into the game. Brentford took their chances fairly well, fought hard. Well done, then. First impressions, Manchester United 1, Brighton and Hove Albion 2. Uh, there's no silver button for Ten Hag to just hit and fix Man U. It's going to take a while, regardless of how good he is as a manager. Brighton are very well um, managed under Graham Potter, and they deserve to win. First impressions, last but not least, West Ham nil, Manchester City 2. Oh, uh, a drubbing. West Ham can't really be blamed. Like 75% possession from Man City. They dominated, crazy loads of chances, and they're frightening. They're scary interesting stuff well well done for that that was uh obviously very very uh you know may may sound the listener easier uh than it came across but uh you know that is 10 uh you know games to give quick quick ideas on and 20 teams to give uh first thoughts on without any preparation i i could promise you that rupert did not know that this was or that certainly this form he knew that something was coming but but not in that form um interesting how was that was that all right? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought there was some some stuff there. I'm sure that there's a couple of things that you would like to have developed on. I'm sure there's some things that maybe you'll feel uh, later as we sort of go into detail that you feel maybe you blurted out without context. But I think I think <laughs> you're definitely will... thinking of something there. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, I think interesting. Well, let's let's start with yeah. maybe the sort of. I'd, I'd say the biggest upset of of the round, uh, that being uh, Fulham 2, Liverpool 2. Um, I was listening to last week's episode uh, for editorial purposes and also because I uh-huh. love the sound uh-huh. of my own voice. Sure, um, sure, sure. And we were sort of talking about how, you know, Fulham could be in trouble, but hey, like, don't worry if you can't sign enough players by game week one because it's not like you're going to win against Liverpool anyway. Maybe if they'd signed a few players, they, they could have nicked the three points. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't think the problem with, with Fulham at least in that game, is going to be that they didn't sign enough players because I don't think that starting lineup would necessarily have changed. I think they need to sign players for their mid-season. They need to sign players for the end of the season um, or for when they have injuries because that's really when, when it's going to get tough for them. 
So, certainly true. No, no, it's definitely true. But, but you know, interesting nonetheless that we had sort of, we'd both essentially written off Fulham, and I'm sure we were not the, the only people in this country, or indeed the, the footballing world, who, who had done that. You know, Fulham, who are a newly promoted side going up against the, the you know, probably second strongest team in, in the league and one of the top strongest teams in, in the world right now. Um but they did really well. They were leading twice, of course. Liverpool had to score both times to get back in it. Um, Mitrovic coming up, scoring two goals. He's another one that a lot of people have written off. I mean, some people will look at his last season in the championship and would have gone, well, you know, it was particularly good. He obviously broke that record. He had, a, even by his standards, a really high-scoring season. Um, but even now, after this game, I'm a little I'm a little bit sceptical. I think maybe he had a good yeah. day. Maybe there's a little bit of a championship, whatever the reverse of a hangover is. There's a championship sort of remainder that's giving him a lot of confidence. Well, hey, um, I mean, uh, two things I would say to that. One, yes, I kind of agree, despite the fact that I think Mitrovic, and I think I said this last week, I might be wrong if you just listened to it. Um, I think I said I thought he was going to have quite a good season. Um, I definitely still have the energy of like, talk to me in November when he's got like eight or ten goals. Um, however, I will say you might you might kind of be, be telling me that momentum is the only thing that got him those two goals against Liverpool. But momentum is really important for strikers. And if he's got early season momentum, that could well translate to a very good year. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And they play against Wolves next game. Wolves, who we'll get into in a bit, but Wolves looks very leaky. And certainly if Mitrovic is feeling confident, um, you know, that, that'll that help. And if he scores a couple of goals or even just one goal in that game, it'll it'll definitely continue his, uh, his streak and his streak of confidence. I think Liverpool were quite interesting. One of the big uh, interesting stories there has got to be the fact that, um, you know, at the end of last season, Mohamed Salah didn't really look himself. He definitely looked quite fatigued uh, after the AFCON, um, but he seems to have come back in it. He got a goal and assist in this game uh, and is looking a lot more confident. He looks to be back to the same form that he was in at the start of last season. Uh, and Darwin Nunez as well came in, um, didn't start the game, but came on uh, 51 minutes and, uh, yeah, looked very, very impressive, albeit against one of the newly promoted sides, but you can only perform against whoever's in front of you um so yeah those two definitely combined very well definitely a great start for, for Nunez's confidence as well uh-huh. um and look forward to seeing those two partner up yeah I think um there was interesting uh shift in Liverpool's play when Thiago came off and Harvey Elliott came on which was that typically Thiago I'm um, sorry Thiago Alcantara plays more centrally which means that Mohamed Salah typically pushes a little wider whereas when Harvey Elliott came on he naturally moved wider, which put Mohamed Salah in a slightly more central, narrow position as a forward. And and that allowed him to get a lot more purchase in the game. So it'll be interesting to see if Thiago is out for a little while, whether or not Harvey Elliott starts, whether or not that continues to be the case, that he plays a little wider, Salah plays a little more central and, and then gets much more into the goals and assists. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm quite looking forward as well to seeing how um, Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunez sort of play together. They didn't have a lot of time on the pitch together. I think they had about half an hour, uh, maybe a little bit less. But I think it'll be interesting to see how that front three, which you've got to assume is probably Liverpool's ideal front three at the moment. I know they didn't start with, with Nunez Diaz, in this Nunez game. You'd, you'd have to imagine so. Maybe yeah, Yotta in, so. in the mix somewhere so. there. Um, well, it'd be hard to discount Yotta, wouldn't it? Hard to discount Yotta, but but um, I, I'm imagining that's probably going to be their their sort of first choice front three. Yeah, I mean, look, Nunez looked really good, and Diaz, um, I think he hit the post once, twice, um, but looked looked dangerous as well. Um, so it's looking exciting for Liverpool. Um, I think Fulham really has to be praised for cutting off passing lanes to Fabinho. Um, I I was looking, I was watching a, a YouTube video by a very good YouTuber people who like football called James Lawrence Alcott and he was talking about the statistics behind Fulham's press 
and he was saying that Fulham last year in the championship um, averaged 135 pressing actions per game. Against Liverpool, they managed 153. So not only have they taken their their tactics from the championship into the Premier League successfully, but they also seem to have kind of expanded on them. And I don't think it's massively maintainable for Fulham. As we've talked about already, they really do need to get a deeper squad if they're going to be, you know, pushing into the the like the middle part of the table. But the early signs are there that on their day, they can challenge. Yeah, very, very impressive uh, first game from, from Fulham. Not so impressed from Liverpool. Final word on this game for me, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, not for the first time, beaten at the back post. Um, sure thing. Who could argue uh, against the idea that he is a tremendous attacking force, a fantastic passer of the ball, a great set-piece taker, and uh, scores the odd goal? Bit of a defensive liability. Is there a point where a question has to be asked, or do you just think the good is such that it outweighs any potential bad? Because he might concede you a goal, but he's also likely to create two. I think... I think... The good outweighs the bad, definitely. And not just because of how good he is going forward, but also because of how good Liverpool typically are as defenders in the air. Like, their centre-backs are very good and composed in the air. So I think Trent can can get away with it slightly. I do think if I was to pick a formation for him to to really thrive in, it would be a three at the back where he plays as a, as a wing-back, pushing into the midfield rather than, uh, you know, as a typical back four the Liverpool play so I mean I I don't think it's I think he's got a bit of a ceiling actually yeah and I think he could get exposed and I think teams could well capitalize on that I'm thinking like for example Bournemouth um you know we saw how how much they're willing to just throw balls into the box and try and get heads on them um and I could imagine here's a hot take for you Bournemouth could beat Liverpool 1-0 at some point this season. Keep him more at the back post. It, yeah, it, it could potentially happen if that... I mean, I kind of feel like as soon as that happens, Liverpool would beat them 5-1. But but yeah, no, you, you could definitely see Bournemouth scoring against them. I, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely very interesting. Um, I know I said that was last word, and this isn't even so much words to comment. Andreas Pereira, great start. Uh, looked very impressive. The uh, you know perennial bench boy over at United. Yeah. Uh, looked very impressive. So you know more to come from him. Yeah, I think um, he he drifted wide at times and, and was able to shrug off at defenders and, and find space. And if he can keep doing that, then he's going to keep being an asset for Fulham. West Ham hosted Manchester City at the London Stadium, um, a an event that will probably be remembered uh, not so much for the football, but more as sort of the way that you know something was unleashed on uh, not just the Premier League, but but this this island that we live on, and we're sort of all trapped in here with him now. I'm referring, of course, to the creature uh, Erling Haaland. He is a big man. I, I, He's a I, scarily intimidating man. I don't think that boy is quite right, and I think that Man City have. <laughs> Have damned us all to to you know at some point when he's when he's sick of scoring all the goals and he's won his fourth golden boot he'll be like I've consumed the Premier League and now I must consume you all. <laughs> um, <laughs> we think he'll he'll, just, he'll win the Premier League trophy and subsequently eat it. Uh, yeah, and, and you know I, I think he's eyeing up for fun. Anyway, all that aside, um, <laughs> he obviously did score two goals in this game. It was an interesting one because as you mentioned, um, Manchester City had a lot of the ball, a lot of possession, couldn't quite break through, and it's it's. It's kind of funny how Manchester City before not having a striker were characterised by a team that would get loads and loads of shots off. But now that they've got a striker and granted it's a sample size of one game, they were characterised in that game by lots of the ball, but not that many shots off. 
um, which I thought was quite an interesting thing. They were obviously like getting into the mix quite a lot. They were they were trying to fire it. I mean, maybe that's what it was. Maybe they were so focused on sort of trying to go through Erling Haaland, and maybe that was just because it was his first game and they wanted them to get off the mark and get confidence. But so many times where you would sort of normally expect someone to sort of shoot or sort of do something, they were sort of going for Haaland to see if he could get a header or or try and cut it back to him. Um, and eventually, it was a, it was a penalty that that the, the creature himself won um, to score his opening his opening goal and finished it uh, shortly afterwards with uh, the kind of goal that I'm sure we're going to see about eight million of over the course of this season with De Bruyne just releasing him, Haaland going through and opening up his body fantastically. Um, but yeah. Um, a good a good start for Haaland, a good start for City. Um, but yeah, maybe West Ham made it a little bit harder for them than, than it could have been, considering how much they, they were dominant in the middle of the park. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, who oh, was Declan Rice played really well, um, which is not something you often think of uh, a central defensive midfielder as having done when his team loses 2-0. Um, I, think, I think what's really frightening about Man City is that I saw this kind of touted as as like something to be concerned about, something to look out for, which was the fact that both Grealish and Foden playing either side of Haaland had quite ineffectual games. Mm. But I think what's really horrifying for any Premier League side surely looking at that is the fact that you can't ignore those players out wide. You have to put defenders on them. But if you do that, even if you neutralise both of them, which they did this game, you're still going to have this giant threat coming through the middle, which is Kevin De Bruyne hanging off Erling Haaland. Mm. And De Bruyne pushed out wide so often um, over the last few years. And I think while that's worked really well for him, I think ultimately the more, obviously, the, the more width the team has naturally, the more he can just move into pockets of space wherever he wants rather than feeling like he needs to push out wide, rather than feeling like he needs to track back. I think... I think him pushing through the middle, supporting Haaland, uh, with players like Foden and Grealish on the sides, is just, it's it's scary indeed. Well, I think you know no, nothing says how how much how scary it was more than uh, Lucas Fabianski, who had sort of one altercation with Erling Haaland, was like, oh, "That's it, I'm coming off. I, 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 I don't want any part of this in the game." Um, Have you seen that um, that video in the Bundesliga where I think he's playing against Bayern Munich? Someone tackles Haaland really badly from behind and then goes off injured. Haaland just gets up. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's the kind of thing. I think um, in terms of positives for West Ham, uh, Gianluca Scamacca came on and he looked very lively. Obviously, playing your first game in the Premier League is uh, never an easy task. Playing against the incumbent champions is, is sort of doubly difficult. Um, but he came on. He looked very effective. He scored that goal. There was there was ruled out for offside. Um, but Scamacca and Maxwell Corne now as well being added to that West Ham team is a. Uh, quite an enticing prospect and it'll be interesting to see how they look once a both those players have settled in a bit and b they're not playing against the best team in the league yeah absolutely um ben johnson looked pretty good too um a very young lad uh, has come up through west ham's academy and he's very versatile defender um and didn't look all that out of place against the best team in the league center back so you know one to watch for sure yeah, I mean, I, I I did sort of when I saw the lineup at the start, I did feel for him. I was like, oh, that's a that's a, that's a tough one to be. You know, he, he's you, not a five foot nine centre back. Well, imagine being a centre back lining up in the Premier League as like a twenty two year old against Erling Haaland. Oh, and you're five nine. Yeah, that's yeah, not not uh, not not great. Um, I thought also on, on City side, um, Julian Alvarez looked quite good. Uh, only had you know about ten minutes on on the on the pitch, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, is he going to be one of these players that gets sort of fed into Pep Roulette, almost certainly to some degree with this sort of new five sub rule? Um, but uh, you know, is he going to be sort of starting the odd game? Is he going to be you know capable of playing on the wing? He obviously came on uh, directly for Erling Haaland and. 
there's a part of me that feels like Erling Haaland can't be unseated, but then it is Pep, but then it is Haaland. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, Im- immovable force versus Im- unstoppable force versus a movable object, in a sense. I mean, like, would you agree that Haaland was a bit of an unstoppable force against West Ham? Yeah, he was, and he and he got he still got taken off, and he got taken off. They got taken off too while he was on a hat trick. Yeah, yeah, and, and not like for the last couple of minutes. It was in like the seventieth minute or something, wasn't it? Sixty fifth, yeah. Sixty fifth, yeah. I mean, it also, I just hate it when managers take off players that are on hat tricks. Oh yeah, I hate it as well. That's that feels like like the old the old man football fan in me. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, the the guy who secretly thinks that that football was more fun when it was more physical. Um, back in 2005. Do you know what I mean? Like, that part of me was quite annoyed by that. Let's go next to Tottenham Hotspur's ground uh, with Spurs 4, Southampton 1. Uh, Spurs looking very good here. A strange game where they score four goals and no goals for either Kim Gunson nor Harry Kane. No Kazza or Son, yeah. Um, Speaks to, you know, how they've been able to spread the quality out a little bit in the squad. Kulisevsky picking up where he left off with a, a fantastic game uh, and looking very, very good indeed. Obviously, uh, Kane and Son both involved heavily. I think Son did get an assist, but other than that, it, they were sort of just, you know, making things work in the final third. And, you know, it is one of those things where you have to sort of keep an eye on them as the other team. But now there's Kulisevsky in the mix as well. And a lot of other players had uh, had really good games as well there that you wouldn't have maybe been expecting. Like Emerson had quite a good game. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't have normally been expecting. So, so yeah, I think interesting process for Spurs. I still sort of have them, and I know you had them as well, sort of I think they're the third best team around at the moment. Uh, and Kulisevsky, just, he just keeps going from strength to strength. Very impressive. On the other hand... 4-1 might look less impressive over the coming weeks when we see how Southampton fare. Um, Southampton, I, I also think a lot of signings they could settle in, but they looked just abysmal in this game. They did not look very good. Um, I think uh, I think Spurs could be in... Sorry, I think Southampton could be in real trouble um, because they just looked pretty lost. Um, they didn't show much at all. Very, very weak in midfield um, and just, just really struggled to stop Tottenham, who were being very penetrating. Um, I think... Definitely, what was interesting to me was that what has so often not worked for Spurs, which was Harry Kane dropping in and being a little bit more of a number 10, a little bit more dictating play and kind of allowing players to run on from him. Um, We've seen that not work so often, not just for Spurs, but also for England. But I think this game against Southampton could well be an indication that it might work very well this season, especially when... You know, you've got players like Richarlison as well to rely on because Kulisewski running off him, Hugh Son running off him, Emerson Royale even. Um, you know, if you look at the average positions, Kane is right in the middle of that pitch um, and he's kind of surrounded by other Spurs players that are pushing, pushing further up the pitch than him. And I think that if this one game is anything to go by, that's going to be quite a, quite a powerful um, tactical setup for them this season. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it, it definitely it, it helps if you're sort of dropping back to play the number 10 role if there's more than just one runner in Sun who, you know, can do something with the ball. Um, and that's going to extend to, obviously, not just Kulisevsky, but these these wing-backs that Conte loves to play with. We've yet to see sort of Jed Spence come in. We've yet to see Ivan Perisic um, start a game. So that'll that'll surely only enhance things. Um, another sort of shout-out for this game, one of the weirdest own calls I've ever seen from Mohamed Salisu, who I still really <laughs> like. Maybe I've just seen, like, four or five games where I've seen him perform really well, and I think he's really good based on that, and I've just missed all the times that shockers. Um, but that was that was a really weird own goal. Um, to sort of, like... It was one of those own goals that was almost like, that's a good finish, because he sort of, like, takes it down with the touch and rolls it's it into the goal. It yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I feel like Salisu came onto the scene quite strongly, and mm. I feel like... Um, 
it's easy to, to, to look at him immediately and be like, oh, that guy's got a bit about him. And every time he has a bad game and someone criticizes him, you would might think like, no, actually, you know, I think he's got a bit about him. And then might well turn out that he just had a couple of good games and isn't a great player. Yeah, yeah, which is what I'm, you know, at this point prepared to potentially accept because I, I still think he was very good last season. But you know, that based on this first game and the occasional game I saw last season, I think he got two different straight reds. Uh, certainly, at least one uh, that was sort of very weird. But you know, we'll, we'll see. Very, very early doors. Um, let's go next to South London, uh, Selhurst Park, Palace nil, Arsenal two. Um, Arsenal off the mark here. Um, obviously starting off the season sure. for the second season in a row. And, um, you know, with the All or Nothing documentary having just come out, we all got a recent reminder of how their last half season went. A 2-0 again, uh, but a 2-0 loss that time to Brentford. Turned around this time with a 2-0 win against Palace. And I thought, one of the things I thought was interesting was how that, that All or Nothing documentary came out on the 4th of August, one day before Arsenal kicked off their season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I wonder if that, that surely can't have a positive effect. And maybe... I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's it's hard, difficult to know because we don't now have the cameras in the dressing room. But I wonder how that was received. If players sort of that lit a fire under them or if that sort of was demoralizing for some people or a mixture of both or, or you know, it, it was interesting that. But ignoring all, all, all I mean, that stuff. I, I can imagine it's more of like, a, you know, you walk into the dressing room as a manager and you go, right, lads, everyone's talking about you. Let's show them what you're made of now. Kind yeah. of thing. I, I feel like you could definitely use it as a, a galvanizing thing. Yeah, I, well, I, I think it could could really go either way. But other than that, not Arsenal's best game, I would say. I think Palace were able to get into this game a lot more than maybe they should have had a chance to when Arsenal should have tried, should have been able to kill off the game. Um, Arsenal looked very panicked in the second half until Mark Gwehi's own goal very late on. Um, but uh, no, a great start, a really good way to start the season. Very confident, both the result and the, the sort of the first forty-five. Palace, I think, again could be a team to watch out for. I think in in certain phases they looked very impressive, and it's difficult to look past some of the players they've got here. I mean, Jeffrey Schlupp, you know, by this point in his in his career, starting in the midfields is not something that fills me with a lot of enthusiasm. But you know, the Eze's, the Zaha's, the Alton Edwards, if they can find a way to make it click consistently, uh, and Patrick Vieira certainly seems to be on his way to doing that. I, I'm standing by my, you know, top 10 prediction for Crystal Palace. Yeah. Okay, well, how about this? How about this? I'm gonna, I feel like, I feel obliged to, to throw some tests out to you just because you started the, the, uh, the episode with so much, uh, sure. like, go, go, go. Um, quick fire, Palace in this game, XG of 1.21, Arsenal XG of 1. What does that mean to you? What is it? XG of 0.21 or 1? 1.21, Arsenal's 1. Uh, Palace scored no goal is, is what it means I suppose uh, Arsenal uh, you know classic sort of thing of not making the chance that people wanted to take on um, Gabriel Jesus sort of still fitting into his role unsurprisingly pre-season turned out to be pre-season and he isn't the second coming of uh, of, of Ronaldo um, I think he still will have a, a decent season but uh, it was good to have a bit of a splash of cold water over not even just Arsenal fans at this point but everyone's uh, collective uh, faces mm. after everyone sort of thought he was going to go absolutely nuts um, but yeah I think slow start for Arsenal that stat doesn't really surprise me um so I think Palace were good and, and had their chances as well and were maybe unlucky to, to come away without any points. But um, that's the nature of the beast, I suppose. Um, 
Arsenal mm. did, despite not playing very well in the second half, managed to come away with all three points. What I will say is um, William Saliba, the Arsenal player who's sort of been out on loan for ages... Doesn't look so bad. Looks imperious. Doesn't looks look like so a fantastic player. And if I if I were Ben White, I'd be I'd be sweating a little right now because Saliba and Gabriel look great while Ben White was out on, on, on the right back while Tommy Asu was out. But... Um, yeah, Saliba looks again on a sample size of one in the Premier League. He, you know, obviously had an impressive time over in in Liga, the Liga Uber Eats. But um, on the yeah. sample size of one, he he looked really, really up to the challenge. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think even more than that, like taking a step back, the fact that Ben White started at right back and Saliba started at centre back ahead of the fifty million plus pound signing spoke speaks volumes, right? I think so. Uh, although although, although, although Ben White can club. also play right back, so it's kind of like I, I'm not. I don't know if Saliba's ever played there, whereas Ben White has, so I suppose... No, true, but, I mean, you know, I think, um... Wait, Tommy Asu can play. But is he, he's injured. Is he injured? Yeah, yeah, he, was, he, was, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't fully fit. I think he, was, he might have been on the bench, but I don't think he was, he was fully fit. Um, no, he wasn't even on the bench. Um, but yeah, no, I think... I, I, I agree, it's a, it's a vote of confidence, definitely, but I think Ben White can play... I think he has played right back in the past, whereas I'm not sure the Saliba ever has. But, but at any rate, I think Saliba looks very, very impressive, uh, indeed. Um, probably a good time to break quickly for a bit of useless trivia. We've sprinted through our first sounder of games there, uh, mm-hmm. as well as having a little bit of a quick fire round. Sure um, useless trivia. Um, what have you got for me this week? So I've got a couple of uh, a couple of fun contrasting stats around Erling Haaland's debut against uh, West Ham. He is only the second Man City player ever to score a brace in their Premier League debut following Sergio Aguero in August 2011. However, he's also only the second player in Premier League history to both win a penalty and then convert it on his debut after Alexandra Pato I, I saw that. in 2016. And I was just loving the, the play between the two. Will he be the next Sergio Aguero? Will he be the next Alexander Pato? Well, yeah, yeah, the two, two, uh, yeah, two different ends of the spectrum there, uh, at least as far as the Premier League is concerned. Um, my uses trivia for this week, not so based on the uh, Premier League, uh, it's based on uh, Spanish football, specifically the uh, domestic cup competition there, the Copa del Rey, uh, Spanish football's equivalent of the FA Cup. Did you know, Rupert, that the Copa del Rey has not been won exclusively by Spanish teams? Uh, and no, I'm not talking about, you know, a Catalonian team. Uh, there is one foreign team that has won Ooh. a Copa del Rey. Is it a Scottish team? It is indeed a Scottish team. Oh, is it? No, it's not Dundee. It's not Dundee. No, is it uh, Aberdeen? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say it now before you guess oh, all, of, all of the SPL. It's uh, it's Motherwell. Um, ah. In the 1926-27 season, um, they were invited, as long as uh, as well as uh, Swansea, uh, to the sort of special post-season edition of the Copa del Rey. Um, and... and uh, so, so they're, they're invited to take part in this sort of this special edition of the, of the competition that took place after the season. Um, Real Union were the winners of the 1927 Copa del Rey proper, but um, it was Real Madrid who were in the final of the Copa del Rey uh, sort of bonus episode uh, at the Estadio Chamartín that we, of course, uh, referenced a couple of episodes ago. Um, sure. And some players from other Spanish sides were thrown into the Motherwell team as sort of special guest appearances <laughs> uh, to the... Um, Motherwell, uh, on the route to the final, did knock out Swansea, so knocking out their uh, their Welsh counterparts to uh, ensure Scottish dominion uh, in, in, in the coming round, and uh, beat uh, Real Madrid four three in the in the final um, to wow. win the only Copa del Rey won by a foreign team. There you go. Yeah, I don't know why 
I, I thought it would be a Scottish team. I feel like they've got they've got such interesting, varied histories as clubs. Um, you know, as being successful European teams in in various different times over the the twentieth century. Oh, uh, sorry. Rather, realised I read out the wrong thing there. It was four three they beat Swansea. It was three one that they beat Real Madrid uh, in, in the uh, final. Nice. Um, yeah, mm. Motherwell, a, a storied club. Not only not the only trophy they won on that trip as well. Uh, they went to Barcelona a few days later, uh, drew two two with Barcelona and beat Swansea again. This time one 0 and they won the Barcelona Cup. <laughs> so uh, a great a great couple of weeks out for for Motherwell. They had fun, didn't they? They 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 really did. Did they get some Did they get some strengthening in that tournament as well? Or being that it was in twenty six twenty seven, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> the uh, The records are not. Cam, what was their XG? I'm not amazingly uh, comprehensive uh, when we when we go that far back. Uh, I'm afraid. Uh, let's go back into our Premier League games. Let me talk to you about oh. The big disappointment. Cover your ears and your eyes and, and go directly to bed, uh, United Man, fans. United, now, we, yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to talk about this start of the season. In some ways, so, so inevitable. Uh, can, can we talk about how far Man you have fallen that the surprise of this uh, this weekend, as said by you, was the fact that Fulham managed to draw with Liverpool. Yeah. Not that Man you lost yeah. to Brighton. Yeah, ex- exactly. When I, when I started, I was sort of looking at those and going, let's, let, yeah, at Old Trafford, let's talk about the upsets. And I was looking at Manchester United 1, Brian 2, and I was like, is that even really an upset at this point? Like obviously, when you look at the table and you think about the sort of the size of the clubs, you go, "That's an upset." But it was like it, Pascal Groth's fifth and sixth goals against Man U alone. Everyone was shocked that Fulham managed to get a result, you know, even albeit just a draw against Liverpool. Was anyone really that shocked that even the most fervent United fans I saw on Twitter were going like, "Well, here we go again." No, I would say I would say the upsets or the surprises were split between Liverpool, Fulham, and Bournemouth, uh, Villa. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, uh, man, you Brighton. Here we go. Um, I mean, can we just simply write this off as a classic case of a team that has had the same manager for a long time and is very well drilled against a manager who's just come in? It's trying to take on all of this new, new these new players, these new tactics, um, trying to shape his team. Can we can we give Ten Hag the day off here? Do we do we feel like you know, he just came up against a very, very resolute unit in Brighton. Or do you think there's a real indictment of, of his early season potential? Uh, I, I struggle to, to blame Ten Hag that much because a lot of what United were doing poorly is exactly what they were doing poorly before he came in. So it's not like they've, sure. they've been sort of, you know, Eric Ten Hag's come in and all of a sudden they're doing a, a bunch of, you know, newer stuff. I think it is astound. I, mean, I have to question, did he watch United at all <laughs> before he went there? Because he, he started McFred. And he started McGuire. <laughs> Honestly, if, if you want an example of apathy in defence... Watch the highlights of the goals and watch Harry Maguire. The one where not the um the one where it gets played in behind him. He just like jogs behind, following it. Tries to call for offside as it goes in. He doesn't even look upset that they've conceded a goal. I honestly was shocked by that. And that's coming from someone who doesn't rate Harry Maguire very highly. Yeah, I, th- I thought he wasn't great. I thought Lysandro Martinez had a, a pretty tricky debut as well. I think he was very lucky to not give away a penalty. Um, you know, jogging around the little fella. Um, <laughs> look at him go. Uh, look at him go. He, he was trying his best, but <laughs> it, it, it's hard not to to read into. It just feels like the the two the two fates of of the Manchester clubs and the fact that at some point in the season, presumably probably twice, 
Erling Haaland is going to come across Lissandro Martinez and just do you know what I mean like man you were trying to go with this new this new Ajax manager who is trying to implement these new tactics and they're not working at all man City just signed like an absolute weapon in attack yeah. and have only strengthened better from when they won the title yeah um it, it really does feel like indicative of of the you know the what's it called the momentums of the two clubs yeah it's very true i mean i think you know certainly in this match it was a, a lot of a lot of overrated players and a lot of underrated players is how i would sort of build this match i think we had you know, D- danny welbeck had a very good game um although you know very very well-known quantity and i don't think he's underrated or overrated per se but pascal gross is you know as you mentioned uh, you know had a fantastic game very underrated player in my mind moises caicedo had a fantastic game as well really underrated and leandro trossard again again sort of just running rings around that that united midfield although perhaps that's not the uh the most difficult accolade to pick up these days but um <laughs> but no just just a load of really impressive performances from a from a Brighton side that I've had a lot of conversations with people um obviously as as have we all I'm sure ahead of the season sort of talking about who we think is going to win who we think is going to go I mean the conversation is yeah. less who's going to win but who we think is going to stay up and who's going to go down and a lot of people have said Brighton I think Manu will stay up oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, but a lot, a lot of people have said Brighton um and Did you know you say Brighton? no 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 right. I didn't say Brighton I thought Brighton, no. I think Brighton are going to finish Brighton quite up. I think they're like uh, I think I put them like eighth or ninth or something yeah, yeah, yeah. but um yeah, a lot of people I've spoken to have sort of gone, well, you know, Brighton, they've lost Basuma and they've lost Kukurea and I just don't think, I just don't think, obviously those two are very good players who Brighton are going to, you know, suffer from losing, but I just think they're a really well-drilled side. I think Graham Potter is like top five managers in the league uh, and I think that they have, you know, even beyond those two, loads and loads of underrated players. Like, well, I say privately, quite publicly, I believe that the players <laughs> like, you know, Kukurea, no one really like a few people for audio listeners I'm pointing to myself uh, <laughs> I was wondering if you were actually going to say that out loud <laughs> point at yourself said when he signed the you know, Hitafe I went oh it's good and yeah, I have you know I spoke to a few people who said that as well but Loads of people only started saying Kukurea was good when Man City bid for him. <laughs> and then, you know, subsequently when Chelsea bid for him and, and got him in. Um, and so I kind of feel like there's, there's a lot of players at Brian who I could see the same for. I could see this time next summer, every every sort of big media outlet after Manchester City have bid 50 million for Leandro Trossard going, oh, Leandro Trossard, what a talent. And like those same people haven't do been at the think, start of the season. Do you think Trossard would be one of them? I, I wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't uh, surprise me, really. Wow. I think he's a really good player. Um Maybe he's twenty-seven. Um, but yeah, no, that's just picking a name out of the hat. You yeah, know, it could, no, could be Casido, could be. Um, yeah, I can see Casido going for thirty mil. Um, it's funny. I feel like uh, Pascal Gross is exactly the kind of player that ruins my fantasy football chances because I look at a player like that and I'm like, ooh, just joined Brighton, a eh? most chances created in the Bundesliga last season, a eh? straight into my team. Pascal Gross. When he joined Brighton. Oh, oh, oh right. I was, was going to say, was that, did they have a second Pascal Cross? <laughs> no, no, when he joined Brighton. Um, and then, uh, obviously, he's a very good player, but that doesn't always correlate to goals and assists. He did this time, though. Um, and he, he is a fantastic player, in my opinion. Getting him in for game week two, then? Or... I, actually, I actually have brought him in. But, but, only, but only because his, uh, his price rise, he's very close to having a price rise. Apparently. <laughs> well, According to the but, website I use. Well, there we go. Uh, United, dis- United disappointing, but not as disappointing as, uh, as Ruby's fantasy football. Fantasy football team. Yeah, 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 again. Let me just... tell you what, if you think Brendan Rodgers' Leicester fall off at the end of the season, <laughs> you've not... 
<laughs> you've not seen anything yet. Well, with that, let's uh, let's segue swiftly into Leicester versus Brentford. Leicester every season, every season it's the same. Every same season, old. no, normal, every season. Normally, it you know there's at least a little bit of a facade at the start, but just I I I think if we if we roll back the tape to like literally not last season but the season before last. I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think, certainly I was saying at the time, and I still believe this, they should just get rid. I think he's taken them as far as he can, and it's only getting worse. I think Leicester fans must be so frustrated just having the, like, do you think Leicester fans were sat in the stadium thinking they were safe at 2-0 up? Probably not. Maybe they were, because the first game back, and you know, you're very excited to be back in the ground and all that stuff, but I have to believe that at least a good portion of them were like... No, do you know what? I actually think they would have thought they were safe. I think um, a good portion of them were probably like, well, we need at least four more to make sure we're safe. Well, it's funny, because we were talking last week about Leicester, or, or maybe the week the week before, and um, you were saying that you didn't think they were very good, you were worried about how hard it was going to be for their early season, because of the fixtures they have. They're playing Chelsea away, they're playing Man U, they're playing Brighton away... They're playing Villa, they're playing Spurs away. Um, they've got a really tough set of fixtures. And I was saying, you know, while that's true, they often start very strongly compared to the way that they finish seasons. And here they are not even winning their opening game of the season. So I think alarm bells very faintly, you know, just like just like a little like vibration. Maybe not even ringing, but yeah, just a little nudge. I, I think it's... Alarm bell nudge. I think it's more than that. I think it's more of the same problems that we've seen, you know, time and time again with Leicester under Rodgers. And I don't think they're getting any better. If anything, I think they're getting worse. See, while uh, I agree with you, I, I just think that I could equally believe that Brendan Rodgers is one of the only managers that is able to keep them at this level, despite the fact that they're competing with a smaller budget than the teams around them. Um, I, I, like, I, like, is he their ceiling or is he their captain? Is he, do you know, is he like leading the ship? incredibly well despite the fact that that they deserve to be maybe 10th place based I, on based on their output i don't think I, I think there's three or four players who play for leicester at the moment who could easily walk into a top four team i'm thinking wesley fafana yuri tielemans wilfred Didi, james madison jamie Vardy, maybe a bit old now but th- th- those players easily get into top four teams and yet they're not a top four side now, granted, that's not all of their players, sure. but but they're they're losing games. Oh, not losing. Maybe they're drawing Timothy against this and giving well. away leads. Hmm? Maybe even Timothy Castagna as well. Timothy Castagna potentially. Kieran Dewsbury Hall started the started off the season very well it's and ended last pretty, season very well. Spicy. Good goal. Um, so yeah, I just I just don't think good enough given what they have. I understand there's mm. not a lot of spending, but I think there's a lot of talent there that's just not being used well. Also, like remember when Suyunchu was really good and now he's just not even playing and seems really bad. What? And I understand that he's had a lot of bad performances, but is there maybe a, a manager who could get a tune out of him? Maybe, but I mean, has has a manager ever gotten a tune out of him before Rogers? You know, that's what I'm saying. I think it's hard to make a definitive judgment, and, and I will maintain that I think Leicester will really struggle without Kasper Schmeichel. I think he was the glue. I, I agree. I think that was, a, that was a terrible sale. But I think there's there's a lot of stuff at Leicester. It must be the way that we talked about sort of Brighton just there. I think there are a lot of players there who are sort of little hidden gems who would be quite exciting. I mean, Hianacho, remember, he's another one. Remember how exciting he was? Where it was exci- when exciting it was when Leicester he picked him up? Exciting, he's still only he? 25. He he was he probably is still quite good. I think there's a you know Patson Dacker. It's never really worked for him. I think there's loads yeah. of potentially exciting players at um at Leicester who who are just not being used effectively. Uh, and I think uh, for Leicester's sake, uh, it'd be interesting for them if they could get a get a new manager. Hmm. Interesting. Well, he may well be the first to go. Next, let's talk about Everton nil, Chelsea one, two 
really stinky teams here. Maybe maybe the worst, the worst, uh, the worst <laughs> like tie. Like the most the... underperforming tie. Yeah, the, the worst tie of the of the game week. I was, I was watching this. Well, we were watching it together actually uh, in the pub. Sure uh, and God, I I needed to drink a lot of beer to make that watchable. It was just a boring game, wasn't it? It wasn't good. Um, you know, it felt like. And, and not just because it was lower scoring, but there was just there was nothing, nothing much going on. I mean, it really felt like uh, you know they were both like, "No, please, I wish you would take charge of the game." Mm. No, no, please, I insist. You must go first. Uh, and then eventually, you know, they just conceded a penalty. Um, I feel like Chelsea didn't deserve to win. I feel like Chelsea deserved to lose. I think Everton just deserved to lose more. Um, Everton are looking really, really worrying. Um, with Gordon up front, I think that's uh, hopefully not the way that they're going to line up the whole season. Um, hopefully DCL can can recover some sort of injury-free um, period and also recover some sort of form. Um, but I, I think they're a, they're a worry. I mean, I think you predicted them to go down the season. Oh, absolutely, um, I did, yeah. And Chelsea also looking worrying. Lukaku hasn't been replaced. Sterling looks like Sterling. Um, which is good, but also not necessarily a uh, a definitive, consistent end product. And they don't really have anyone that can anchor their their play as a striker that can play as a target man. And I think Chelsea, historically and to this day, really rely on having a target man. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. And obviously, now you know, Timo Werner's left now. He's gone back to come back to Leipzig. Um, ah, the the ultimate number nine. Um, you know, th- things have really just not worked out for him. So, so he's off. So, I mean, are we, are we, are we imagining Chelsea are going to sign anyone else now, or is is that sort of is that dream dead? Or I think that Chelsea will try and sign a striker. Whether or not they manage to, I don't know. You know what Todd Bowley's like in the in the um, you know the the meeting room, but. Um, I think they're surely going to be pulling out the stops to try and bring someone in at least. Um, but you know, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a, a down to the wire because every every team seems to know that Chelsea aren't running particularly well at the moment. So all they can try is Tuchel going, "Hey, can we please get one of these ten strikers?" And Todd going, "I'm running the hamster wheel as fast as I can to keep the laptops running." I I, I kind of feel like a lot of the time with. Um... Well, I, I, I'm always of two minds about Chelsea signings, but sometimes I feel like, especially with um, strikers is where they're like most vulnerable with this, they kind of let perfection be the enemy of progress. Like instead of getting someone like, for example, a Gianluca Scamacca, like a solid like player who'd be like a 25 million yeah. striker. Like, they've, they've, who would be the perfect they've striker? always got to go for like the big money, like who's really rated in Europe. And then that in turn puts a lot of pressure on the player. I almost kind of feel like if Chelsea had signed someone like Scamacca and they'd been like, here you go, mate. Here's the, you know, 38 shirt. Score a couple of goals if you feel like it, but we're not really that bothered because we spent twenty million or whatever it is that that, that he cost. Yeah. Then he would have been like he, he would have been their best striker in years. It's always when it's like a hundred million or sixty million or seventy million on a on a forward that then it's like oh the pressure, oh, the ghosts of all the Chelsea number nines of the past are dragging me into the, into my watery grave. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of feel like uh, when when Abramovich bought the, the club back in two thousand three, um, the only preparation he did. Uh, to try and take take charge was to to buy dinner with Florentino Perez, who sat him down and said, "Listen, pal, one big signing per summer. That's what you need." And he went, "Ah, very well. This shall be Chelsea's thing from now on. We'll only sign the biggest, the biggest players of all." 
Maybe that's it. I mean, definitely concerning if the only way you can get past uh, the Ever- this Everton side is, is with a penalty. Maybe maybe a big season for Amanda Broja on the cards? Question mark, question mark? It could be, but I think, I mean, the same was said about Tammy Abraham when he had a good season and then he left again. So I think even if Broja has a good season, that's, that's in no way um, you know a reflection of the fact that he's going to have a really good Chelsea career. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just things went from bad to worse for Everton as well because... Um, who was that got injured? Was it Yeri Mina? It was indeed, yeah. Um, oh, Ben Goffrey, sorry. It was Ben Goffrey as well. Uh, was it... Was it ben uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course uh, it was both of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, you couldn't write it. Ben Goffrey was super early, Pickford yeah. was limping at one point as well. It's frightening stuff. It's not looking good. Yeah, it was when they were sort of chasing the game, they brought on Dali Ali. I was just like, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> well, I've been watching it with an Everton fan, weren't we? And it was just, yeah. they were just like... Every time we got the ball, he was being like, yeah! And it was like, what What do you think is going to happen? What year do you think this is? Oh, dear. I wonder what year do you think it is. What player do you think that is? No, but like, uh, what, is it what year? It's like 2016, Delhi Ali gets the ball and you go, yeah! 2022? Like, um, uh, 2017, 2018? First whatever it is. Premier League season, Delhi Ali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on. Like, for, first two or three, maybe. Do you uh, think he'll ever get better than, than he was in that early no. season? No. No. I, 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 he just looks a forlorn player um, so yeah a, sh- sure a shell does. of a man he sure does uh, let's move on to the next game then another big upset Bournemouth 2 uh, Villa nil. yeah um, I mean I, look I think um, we've talked about Fulham already we haven't talked about Forest yet um, but I thought it was quite cool the way that I, I felt like every every team that came up this year um, so those three Fulham Forest and Bournemouth all displayed different aspects of what makes good championship sides great and what makes them really hard to play against. And I think for Bournemouth, it was the way that they sat back really deep, absorbed pressure, and then um, harried Aston Villa as much as they possibly could, stop them from, from being able to create any sort of real meaningful chances throughout the game, and then managed to nick a couple of goals. Um, I think it was a really encouraging performance from them. I think they're not they're obviously not gonna have a have any one player scoring more than twenty goals this season, but I think they're gonna have quite a few upsets because they're gonna have games where they stifle and they disrupt and they, they nick one. They nick two. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's even crazier when I'm looking at the two lineups here and I I just feel like this Aston Villa eleven the, the, the one they started with, and I'm just looking at it now, like, there's so much quality there. And there's so many, like, players who things have just gone round, down the wrong fork. You know, your Philippe Coutinho's, Leon Bailey so far, um, you know, Luca Dean. These are all players who, at some point or another, and some of them did go to Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you would have gone, these are going to the, the, the top clubs around and they're going to be world-class players. Do you remember that team? With the Stoke had back in like 2016, where I had like, like the six most, Champions League, the most winners, Champions yeah. League winners of, of any side bar like the top two teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they had like Ibrahim Afalai and I can't the other various other. Uh, Zerdan Shakiri, Ibrahim Afalai, Mark Mendieza, Mark Bartra. Or oh, oh, can I get them? Can I get it? The uh, Boyan and there's one more. Onasovic. Marko Onasovic. Yeah. Champions League winner. Within to Milan, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Um, that was impressive well done, well done. <laughs> um, yeah so so I agree but also you know all of those players were dropped by their clubs for reasons um, I think Aston Villa's obviously got a very exciting roster I'll be honest I'll be the first to say it I don't think Coutinho is particularly good anymore 
I think everyone went so nuts over his... Was it did he come in January last season? Uh, yes, yeah. His first game where he got, I want to say, a goal and an assist. Um, or two goals or something like that. And everyone went re- got really excited about him. It was in a big game. They're playing a big team. Um, was it Man U, Man City, something like that. Um, and I-, I just thought they were really bad goals. And they just weren't... I, I wasn't impressed by it. And-, and I kind of thought maybe that's me being a snob. You know, not all goals have to be banged in from 25 yards. But that is Coutinho's thing. And he wasn't doing it. He was just kind of scrambling a goal or two in by nature of being in the right place at the right time. And that's not Coutinho's forte. He's not going to be doing that 10, 15 times a year, like maybe Sterling is able to and get into Mm. those positions consistently. I never really felt convinced of Coutinho's calibre. He's been dropped by, what, like three big clubs at this point? Um, and well, he wasn't really dropped, but they sold for 140 million pounds. I think that's so much dropped. Drop by Barca, drop by Bayern. Drop by Barca, drop by Bayern, and then Barca again. Uh, Yeah, fine. (laughs) Okay, they dropped three times then by big teams. Um... But, you know, I just feel like, yes, there is quality, but also the the players that they have are by no means a guarantee of success. I think it still requires good management and Steven Gerrard is still kind of working that out. Marcus Tavernier looked quite good for Bournemouth, which is uh, a good thing, given he's their, pretty much their only big money signing. Um, <laughs> so so they, they pinned all of their hopes on him sure. uh, and he did end up looking quite good. Um, Dom Slanky looked kind of bright. Maybe question mark. He looks all right. He looks all right. Uh, and as you mentioned, Keeper Moore. Um, you know, Keeper Moore, Moore fantastic. Got, yeah. got 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 involved Shout as well. Um, so yeah, I, 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 unlike you know, I'm I'm, I'm afforded the uh, the luxury of context, which you were not when you had to talk about this in the in the quick fire round. I don't think we're going to see Bournemouth play a lot of games like this this season. Uh, I think this is just uh, a good game against a side that's a little bit frazzled. Uh, Stevie G. Um, maybe not getting the best out of his boys, and yeah. we'll see if he if he hangs around for the whole season. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, look at the very least. What this has done is it's maybe questioned my decision to put them twentieth. <laughs> I, I don't know that it has. Well, I, th- I think next what week. What more could they have done? The, 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 what what more could they have done? Win 5 0? No, no. I, if they won 5 0, would you be thinking that? I think just with contest, I'm like flat in the pad. I think next week when we see them lose 18 0 to Manchester City, I'd be a bit like, well. Yeah, but again, you know, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, let's look at the richest team in the league versus the newest team in the league. Uh, Newcastle United versus Nottingham Forest. Two 0 to Newcastle. Yeah, and I wanna like I wanna I wanna take a moment. I wanna take a moment to uh, extol the virtues of a single player. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's that guy Bruno Gomes that he mentioned in the intro. No, it's not. It's Joe Linton. Mm. What an absolute hero that man is. I can't think in recent memory, you could maybe, maybe, maybe... Wait, I mean, I actually think um, I was going to say Rude Hullet, but I think he started as a as a more defensive player and then moved into attack. I'm trying to think he of... Was, he was always a bit of an everyman, to be fair. I'm trying to think of a player that started as a striker and has moved into a fairly flat central midfielder. Wayne Rooney? Yeah, I was going to say, Rooney would probably like, be a closer. But even then, he, he was a number 10 for a long time. Joel Linton has just been shoehorned into this like I guess like I guess I guess eight, eight position. I guess Rodrigo at Leeds, who yeah. is now back to being a striker, but he played under Bielsa a fair bit as a he, midfielder. He, he probably dropped down every now and then. But honestly, I, I am so impressed and stunned by the managerial decision to play him in midfield and the fact that it's working this well. Mm. He had a couple of such good mazy runs in the middle of the park where he managed to get shots off, and obviously because he's Joel Linton, he didn't score them. 
but I'm so excited to see him do more of that. You know, like you only have a player that that just goes on some crazy mazy run, and you're like, go on, go mm. on. You know, someone like I don't know, say say you saw like Jerome Boateng, like m- drifting up into midfield and then like pushing into attack. Or Kurt Zuma had that great one for Chelsea where he like did a couple of step overs and beat a couple of players, and you were like, surely it won't happen. Every time Joel Linton gets the ball, I think that. Yeah, no, it's it's true. He was he was definitely very good in this game. He's been really good since picking up that new lease of life as a central midfielder. And you're right, it's a really interesting case study because we he's don't destroy it. We he's don't. A, he's a midfield destroyer. Exactly. We, we don't really see it happen that often. If anything, he's sometimes. It, I mean, they're, they're all quite good at sort of shifting around. Willock, uh, Gamarish, and, and Joe Linton. Uh, so I wouldn't say that any one of them is the yeah. is the least advanced because they're all sort of capable of surging forwards to into that final third, which is itself quite interesting um but yeah re- really interesting transition for him i really liked how uh fabian share scored an identical goal to um the one yeah, that he scored yeah, yeah. last season the, like, the classic the side by sides were oh. uncanny even to the way that like the keeper falls is like it's one thing to hit a ball a certain way from a certain place but the way that the, the keepers keeper dive <laughs> and the way they fall and the way they sort of land and like it's, it's almost uncanny um we live in a simulation so. in matrices <laughs> matrices um yeah i mean what an absolute banger was from him yeah uh, absolutely and you know really impressive that we can talk about a, a newcastle game and the focus isn't all on alisa maxman really really highlights how far they've come in yeah, uh, such a short play. period of time and the fact that we're not talking about anything bad at the back um, yeah well i mean sven bottman didn't even play he came on sort of very late on but yeah mm-hmm. eddie howe i think has just quite recently signed a new long-term contract with the club which is um definitely i mean we, we all sort of looked at that when they had those big owners come in and go is eddie howe the transition guy is he the sort of manual pellegrini before the pep guardiola comes in um well look just because he's got a new contract doesn't mean he's not going to get bought out of his contract in two years no it doesn't but it, it means you know they didn't they, they got him as a manager a year ago or sure. not, not even like six months ago. They didn't need to give him a new contract this quickly. And the fact that they have has got to be a huge vote of confidence. Oh, you but that's, that's are, you, classic. You, you are that's right. So classic. But think of like, think about Adnan Yanazai played like one game and got a brace for Man U on his debut. That's and true. then got handed a bumper contract. Played like three games after that. None of them in particularly impressive. That's true. And I suppose if any club is, you know, going to take the mantle of most happy to use the chopping block from Chelsea, it'll be the new Saudi-owned club. So. And, and also most happy to give anyone a big contract. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, indeed. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. It's exciting. Um, talk to me, however, about Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I mean, part of it's just going to be sort of getting into it, isn't it? I mean, you know, Tyrell and I, who was the really exciting signing, only got half an hour. Um, they were sort of still settling in. I think there's a lot to be excited about still in this team, at least in, in as much as what we what we see happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to give in, in much the same way that I look at Bournemouth and I go flat in the pan. I look at Nottingham Forest and I go, they looked really second best. They didn't look anywhere near the level of the competition they need to be here. That might be their story throughout the season. It could also just be a little bit of shell shock because, oh no, we're in the big leagues now and ugh, loads of players sort of under the headlights and, you know, I I, I want to see a bit more before I start to make any sweeping de- declarations. Yeah, I mean, they sat very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and didn't and, really get into it. They didn't get into it at all. Um, and I think they they did they did keep Newcastle to just two goals. And I think it could have been more on the day. Um, but yeah, they'll be hoping to have a little bit more progression through the midfield and and sit a little higher in future games because that is not going to win them any anything. Let's finish up then on Leeds two uh, Wolves one. Um, Wolves looking 
really, really leaky in the back. Um, you know, Leeds, and, and that's got something when you're playing against Leeds, who that's kind of been their bag for a long time. Yeah, um, go on, sir. No, 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 I, I just think, you know, Wolves are not, a, they're a side that used to be, you know, defined by being solid at the back if nothing you know a little bit uninspiring up top but but have sort of almost switched that around and you know the fact that they've not got um Jimenez to, to provide any of that threat they yeah. usually have um is really just not not very encouraging at all um I thought Leeds conversely looked quite good I think we, we were talking a little bit about Rodrigo earlier they seem to have switched up the formation a little bit so he's not playing in one of the sort of two in a 4-1-4-1 he's now playing in the hole in a 4-2-3-1 uh, which I think is a much more sort of impactful position for him and allows him to forwards and certainly he scored a goal in this game um yeah i think leeds maybe things could turn around for them uh, we had them i think both at 17 just staying up um mm, yeah but yeah they looked all right in this game but i think most of it was that the wolves didn't look so hard yeah it was an interesting game because um and hear me out on this it almost feels like there was there was a little bit of a parallel going on in the game which was that Leeds obviously historically under Marcelo Bielsa, as we we talked about and enjoyed so much, love this tactical versatility of of having very free positions, as you say, some players pushing up, some players stretching out of positions, some players dragging and moving into different areas, and and they're really well drilled at that, and they looked very good doing it um, on the weekend. Wolves conversely were doing something similar, where they had quite a, a, an odd fluid attack but a very broken up one and I think um, determined by the fact that they actually just had no key focal point in attack um, and they had no striker to look to. As a result, they couldn't really establish any sort of firm footing in this game and they just looked lost and they looked like they were trying to move around a lot, but that it was very ineffective and like it wasn't plan A. And I think the problem is, is that when Jimenez is out, they don't have a plan B. Mm. And I think that Jimenez does get injured fairly often and they're really going to struggle this season unless they can they can have some sort of, of second option, not even necessarily a striker that can replace Jimenez, but, you know, a second idea. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. It, it's not an inspiring look at the moment. Um, we'll have to see what happens. Obviously, there are still a few few weeks left of the window for, for things to be done and, and you'd have to hope they act. Um, but... That is our, our quick whip round. We've had some uh, some quick fire answers and we've had a little bit more long term explanation. Don't know that we'll uh, always be doing this every week, the, uh, you know, <laughs> going through game by game, but definitely a good way to sort of situate and start off the season, getting a, just a quick look at how everyone's feeling after the summer. Some shaking off the cobwebs very well, others still, you know, getting them out of their boots and, and figuring yeah, yeah. things out. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I personally, myself for one at least, will be listening back to that sort of collection of first impressions you had at the end of the season yeah. to see if any of them turn out to be uh, <laughs> curiously prescient. If not, at least to just tell me that I'm an idiot back at the, at the end in, in like six months. I time. think to be completely fair, probably probably nine out of ten of those sort of matches that you gave quicker bread for are going to be completely off because, of course, they are. There's 37 games left to play. You can't let them. But it might be one. Well, might um, be one. I'm going to put something to you at the very end of the episode um, because you put something to me at the beginning, which is that I'm going to put a mandate on you. You've got to change one club's position that you gave them last week or the week before in the table. You've got to move one club based on the openings um, fixtures. <laughs> Everything they go down from 19th to 20th. <laughs> Really? Is that, is, that, <laughs> no. Come on, is, is that what you're doing? Are you going to go for uh, that one? That feels like a cop-out. I think that... 
Where did I put Fulham? Did I put Fulham going down? Yeah. And you also said, I Maybe. believe that the words were batshit crazy for me putting them 14th. I think I, I stand by that. Maybe Fulham stay up and Southampton go down in their place. Maybe, maybe that's what I change. All right, perfect. Job done. Right. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Uh, I've been uh, sprung a surprise, just as I sprung you a surprise early on. Uh, Rupert, great to talk to you as always. Cam, thank you very much. And if you had any, um, you know, quick fire round things that you want to get off your chest to us, do email us at hosts at armchairanalysts.com. Hosts, not host. Hosts at armchairanalysts.com. Um, you know, love a good hot take as much as the next guy. Fantastic. And that'll do us for this week. Speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amshel.